Blog Talk Radio. The Marketing Technology Blog Radio Show with Douglas Carr, founder of the Marketing Technology Blog and author of Corporate Blogging for Dummies, online marketing strategies, web, search, social, email, mobile, news, tips, tricks, and best practices from actual marketers, search professionals, and social media experts. Well, happy Friday, everybody. Rob, can you hear me okay now? Rob, are you there? Well, that's not good. (laughs) All right, everybody, hold on. We're going to conference our guests back in. Hold on tight. It's uh, 
really been exciting, fun, and very, very rewarding. Um, so it's uh, it's great to be with you. And is that is that what you see has been the real uh, turnkey change when it comes to social media and the advent of social technologies? Is the ability of uh, of companies to take a a brand that's solid and on a good foundation, but then to be able to really promote and really drive a lot more attention to it? Well, I mean, I think, uh, you know, we're sort of at the um, second major phase of the social media revolution now. I would say that the first phase of the social media revolution was all about uh, finding um, or building an audience, uh, you know, attracting fans and followers. And uh, many companies have done a pretty good job of that. Now the second stage of the social media revolution is what do you do next? So, you you know, you've uh, built your Facebook fan base or your Twitter followers. How do you um, do something very useful um, that drives, uh, you know, real business for your company and real social media ROI? And uh, one of the most productive things you can do is find your authentic advocates from other fans and followers and other engaged customers and give them the tools to tell you your story, uh, to promote your company, your brand, your product. And uh, companies uh, that are doing that today uh, are getting some uh, truly, uh, you know, amazing results. And that's, and that's you know, we often talk about, uh, we had a great show a few weeks ago, and we spoke with a woman that differentiated between the difference between getting an audience together and getting a community together. And I still see, uh, you know, we do it ourselves, but I still see a lot of confusion out there that people think that, well, we've got a lot of fans, we've got a lot of followers, so they've got a great audience, but that's a much different beast than actually getting a community that, as you say, has the tools and has the motivation to then push a brand uh, through it. Would you- I mean, so Forrester says that the value of a fan or follower is zero unless you do something with those fans and followers. And uh, I don't know if I uh, would go that far. I mean, I think that uh, you know, we, we, uh, we are building our own uh, fans and followers as well, so you're creating an audience. Um, so, I mean, that, and that does have value. Uh, but sort of the next layer up from that is, uh, or the next step on the ladder is that, you know, companies have done looking for ways to engage the fans and followers. Looking at things like games, contests, promotions, polls, and a lot of those are sort of one-off uh, campaigns, and they're designed to boost engagement of your fans and followers. But really what you want to do is you really want to find those advocates from your fans and followers and give them the tools to, in effect, become your marketing force. And when you do that, you can really uh, not just uh, build an audience or engage that audience, but you can energize that audience and mobilize them and turn them into a uh, sort of a virtual marketing department for your company. And uh, that's what uh, Zipper customers are doing today, and the results they're getting, as I mentioned earlier, um, are unprecedented. And can you talk a little bit about that that process and even uh, even maybe a couple of uh clients that you're working with and how it's working for them? Sure, I'd be glad to, and I'll, I'll uh, give you a – how about if I give you a B2C and a B2B example? Perfect. Okay, all right, so let me start with the B2C example. 
And uh, the company I'm going to talk about is uh, Rubio's Fresh Mexican Grill. And Rubio's has about 200 restaurants, mostly in the western half of the United States. They're famous for their fantastic fish tacos. In fact, uh, their founder, Ralph Rubio, is the man who is credited with introducing the Baja-style fish taco to the United States. And Rubio's has always had a lot of enthusiastic fans, but uh, they never really knew who they were, at least, you know, not by, say, an email address or a Twitter address or Twitter handle, and they never were really systematically and programmatically uh, turning this into a marketing force for Rubio's. So let me share with you what they've done uh, so far. Uh, first, they've identified over 75,000 Rubio's advocates, and the way they've done that is by asking uh, their customers what's called ultimate question for customer loyalty on a scale for and how likely are you to recommend Rubio's different to say nine or ten are considered advocates. And so that's how Rubio's has been identifying that is and asking that question, that ultimate question for customer loyalty on social, digital uh, channels and even mobile devices. And so that's how they build their what we call their advocate arm and it's seventy five thousand strong ad- Imagine a marketing department that's comprised of 75,000 enthusiastic customers. That's how they've identified their advocates. And then they've uh, amplified their advocates. They've given those Rubio's advocates uh, online and social media tools and applications that made, that's made it easy for those advocates to do things like rate and review their local Rubio's or create a story about uh, why they recommend Rubio's or share offers and content with their social networks. And the results and the, uh, the response has been overwhelming. Uh, over 200,000 recommendations generated by Rubio's advocates. And I'll tell you one that's my absolute favorite and kind of stick in my mind is that uh, a story written by a Rubio's advocate who goes by the moniker Bella Ruby. And uh, Bella Ruby um, loves Rubio's uh, tacos, fish tacos, so much that when she was pregnant, she went into labor eating Rubio's fish taco. And after her baby was born, she named the baby Ruby. <laughs> now, that's the kind of content that only advocates will create. No agency could ever uh, think of a story or dream up a story like that. And if they did, it wouldn't come across as authentic or as credible as a genuine uh, Rubio's advocate. Uh, Rubio's, as a result of this, is getting you know fabulous content. Uh, they're driving you know thousands of referral clicks to their pages, and uh, they're getting sales. Uh, so people are you know downloading coupons, shared with my advocates, going into their favorite or local Rubio's at the restaurant, and buying fish tacos. So uh, you know this program for Rubio's is generating measurable results in ROI, and that's a great B to C case study. That is absolutely incredible. I'm not sure that anybody's going to name their style DK New Media anytime soon. But yeah, maybe DK. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you've written a book, uh, and we, we should have led off with that, Brand Advocates, uh, Turning Enthusiastic Customers into a Powerful Marketing Force. And I was surprised at how transparent you were within the book is you spell it out, and you, you go down to finite detail through in different industries, everything else, on, on how marketers and how marketing departments uh, can utilize brand advocacy. Do you want to talk about your book a little bit? Well, I, I, I'm glad to, yeah. And, you know, I, I wanted to write a different kind of book. A lot of good books out there about social media, but I think that when I read books, a lot of them uh, don't really 
they don't really give you a roadmap or a blueprint on, on what to do. Or they offer sort of, uh, you know, advice like, you know, break down the silos in your organization in order to do social media well. And, you know, bring down these silos in your organization. You might as well try, you know, um, you know, fixing global warming while you're at it. I mean, it's just something that most marketers that are involved in day-to-day marketing uh, can't build, uh, can't tear down one of the silos in organizations. So I don't find advice like that very useful. So what I decided to do with, with my book, The Advocates, is that I kind of divided the book into two halves. The first half of the book I call Inspiration, and it's, it's really stories about uh, brand advocates and about you know world-class marketers like Jenny Grant at Box, who is using uh, the VP marketing at Box, <clears throat> leveraging advocates, and you get a lot of inspirational stories about you know uh, great companies, um, small companies, medium large companies across all sorts of different industries, even B2B companies on, on how they're leveraging their advocates and amplifying their advocates. So the first half of the book hopefully inspires you, and the second half of the book is a book. You know, it really shows you how to do it. Uh, so if you get if you get the religion after reading the first half of the book and you want to put this to work for you, it really gives you a very clear and actionable roadmap that any company can use uh, to identify and amplify their advocates. And then it shows you exactly what track, how to go about uh, Hopefully it's a book that, you know, you can uh, read on a flight uh, from, you know, a two-hour flight and uh, you can get into the office the next day and start to turn your advocates to a marketing force. Rob, this is Harry Howe. I've got a question for you. In the section uh, measuring advocates' clout, the statement is made that about 90% of word of mouth occurs offline, and that's a quote from a, a researcher, Kelly Fay. Could you kind of help me understand um, offline versus online, it seems like most of, of the, the book uh, is, is talking about online, and that I understand, but I do recognize that certainly some would, would be offline. Talk about online, offline, please. Yeah, well, I think uh, I had a little trouble hearing either, uh, but I think I got the gist of the question. And uh, Keller Fay, a word-of-mouth research firm uh, that's been tracking word-of-mouth uh, for years and years, um, uh, their research shows that about 80 to 90 percent of word-of-mouth actually happens offline. So you know, people recommend to each other over, you know, dinner or at Starbucks uh, or on the golf course. Uh, and that happens, you know, uh, three and a half billion times a day, according to uh, Keller Fay. And, and you see this in your own lives where, you know, you're, you're chatting with someone at Starbucks and they're recommending a new movie or a book that you should read or, uh, you know, a word-of-mouth marketing company you have to work with. Um, so there's definitely a lot of stuff happening often. But the, the thing about online that is so powerful <clears throat> is that there is a real ability to harness the power of word-of-mouth and amplify it in a way, and track it in a way that you can't do offline very well. Um, so we're an online word of market company, and we leverage things like Facebook and Twitter, uh, Yelp, uh, TripAdvisor, Amazon.com, et cetera, to amplify advocates, to enable each advocate to reach uh, potentially thousands of uh, not only people in their own social network, but prospective buyers on places like Amazon and TripAdvisor, Yelp and elsewhere. So, uh, you know, I, I would say that <clears throat> both are very important. And by the way, 
when, when you're identifying engaging advocates and giving them tools to spread word of mouth about you online, you're also, I think, stimulating them to spread word of mouth offline as well because you're engaging them. And uh, that same advocate, you know, who might write a review and post it for you on Yelp or on Amazon or on TripAdvisor, you've now kind of stimulated them, and they'll, they'll probably be talking about you more as well, maybe even telling, about, telling friends about the review that they wrote about you. So I think that they both are important. They sort of complement each other. Online word of mouth is some, uh, you know, uh, ability to reach more people that a flat word of mouth doesn't have. I think that's a great, uh, and hopefully we're not breaking up too bad anymore, but I think that's a great lesson to marketers, and it's one that we're often pushing with customers is this isn't a choice. This isn't one or the other. It's not that if online isn't working, then you just bail out and go off. And it's really that the two work together and that you're able to measure a fraction of the word of mouth marketing that you're getting by measuring it online, but you should understand that a lot more is happening around around that, uh, and and I think that's an important lesson for everybody here. Oh, you bet, you bet. I know it occurred to me um, that uh, I forgot to tell you about a BD example, and, and if you have time, I'd love to share with you a story about a company called Parallels. And uh, because you know, one of the things that happens about brand advocates is that there's some myths, and uh, even now with my book out there. Uh, you know, getting a lot of invitations to speak about the topic of brand advocates. And the question always comes up, and inevitably I get the question, does advocates work for B2B companies? And I even have a chapter in, a book, in the book devoted to that. Um, here's the thing about B2B. Uh, just, you know, no one buys anything uh, in B2B environment without asking their peers or colleagues if the vendor that they're doing business with or, you know, was the product or service reliable. Um, so word of mouth in, in some ways is even more important in B2B persons than they are in uh, B2C. I mean, the fact is if you uh, buy uh, a can of soda and uh, you don't like it, you've only lost maybe $1.39, but if you make a wrong decision on an ERP system, it could cost your company millions and millions of dollars and it could even cost you your job. So word of mouth is super important in a B2B. Let me give you an example of a company called Parallel Software. And, and they make a very popular uh, and very nifty little utility that allows you to run Windows on Mac. So if you're a Mac user and at work you need to use Windows, uh, Parallels has a great product for that, a great software product that creates sort of a parallel environment uh, on your desktop, hence the name Parallels. And using the very same process that I talked about at uh, Rubio's, they've identified over 35,000 Parallels advocates. And those advocates have recommended Parallels over 100,000 times now through things like ratings and reviews and testimonials and, and again, offering content sharing with their social networks and business networks. And uh, in one campaign, uh, Parallels had a 30% conversion rate when advocates shared their testimonials along with an offer uh, to get 10% off a uh, purchase of Parallels. Now, a 30% conversion rate is about 50 times higher than standard online conversion rates. Get 30%. And, uh, you know, uh, when you think about it, it all sounds like, you know, too good to be true. Uh, but when you think a little bit about that, the reason that, you know, you get 30% conversion rates on word-of-mouth marketing programs is it's coming for trusted source. 
these are you know real parallels customers who are using this software every day, having a great experience, and then recommending it to their colleagues. And you know, when when a friend recommends something to you or a trusted colleague recommends something to you, you're about ten times more likely uh, to buy that recommended product. Um, and so that's working parallels and and for other B2B companies like that, that they're getting these uh, really sort of astounding conversion rates uh, by turning their, their best customers or advocates uh, and marketers. And by the way, whether it's Parallels or Rubios or any of the companies that we do this with, no advocate is getting paid for these recommendations. Uh, they're not getting uh, you know, payments, incentives, uh, points, badges, uh, T-shirts, hats, or anything, no swag, uh, no free product. We're just simply tapping into the authentic enthusiasm uh, that customers have for the companies they're doing business with and, and the products or services that, that uh, they've purchased. And that's an important distinction uh, to make. Um, and by the way, I'm, I'm a user of Parallels and have been ever since uh, I got my first Intel Mac. So <laughs> love Parallels. Uh, let's take a short break. I want to run a couple of commercials and uh, we'll be back in about three minutes uh, with Rob Frigetta of Zubrins. Uh, Rob, when we get back, I'd talk a little bit more about advocacy, and, and uh, you have a chapter, Not All Advocates Are Equal. We'll talk about that. And we'll talk a little bit more about Zubrins and, and what kind of uh, platform or foundation that you guys put into place to help companies with their brand advocacy. We'll be right back. Delibra has been providing email software and professional services for more than 13 years. Delibra helps businesses and organizations execute effective email marketing campaigns by providing dynamic software and professional services, from full-out consulting engagements to help when you need it in areas such as design, production, deliverability, and testing. Voted one of the 2011 best places to work in Indiana and one of Inc. 5000's fastest growing companies. Delibra partners with businesses and organizations across all industries and verticals and truly opens its doors each and every day to put the customer first. To learn more about Delibra, visit www.delibra.com or call 866 866- 9159465 Tell them you heard about Delivera from the Marketing Technology Blog. Formstack, an online form builder that has become a leader in creating, managing, and hosting online forms is your solution to data collection. Formstack provides small businesses and nonprofits an easy-to-use form building tool to easily collect and manage data. Create surveys, order forms, and event registrations with no web skills needed. To learn more and register for a free 14-day trial, visit formstack.com. Each and every week, you get bombarded with hundreds of emails, dozens of meetings, countless requests, updates, and reminders, and a deluge of -of out-of-control deadlines and tasks. More information and distraction means less communication, which affects your productivity, efficiency, and your sanity. At MindJet, we offer the tools to help you get the job done. MindJet takes that information overload and organizes it visually in terms people can understand. 
and shares it with those who actually need it. Work fast, work smart. Go to MindJet.com to learn more. All right, we're back. Sorry about that. Problem. That, was a, that was a few minutes there. Um, but one un- unpleasant pause in the middle. <laughs> uh, Rob, do you have a chapter in your book, Not All Advocates Are Equal? And you really spell out the difference between a power advocate uh, and a regular advocate. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, understanding the difference and, and, uh, and how you utilize both? Well, yeah, the, um, the clearly some advocates are more influential than others, and uh, they're more some advocates uh, have the ability to reach more uh, people. Uh, some advocates have the ability also to get uh, more uh, more people to take action, and, and action would be, you know, to uh, influence them to buy the product. Their recommendation may carry more clout or more weight. Um, I have an example in the book of a an advocate for startups I met in the uh, journey of writing this book, and uh, her name she goes by the name Starbucks Melody, and uh, Starbucks Melody is uh, name is Melody Overton, and she's a uh, Seattle-based attorney, and uh, she is an extreme brand advocate for Starbucks, and uh, uh, Melody has a Starbucks Melody has a uh, a very popular blog uh, all that all about her. You know, love affair with uh, Starbucks. Uh, she uh, gets a, she has a pretty significant audience of people who read her blog and follow her on Twitter, and, and she's clearly you know an influential uh, brand advocate. Uh, but really, you know, as I talk about in the book, what really matters when it comes to how influential an advocate is is how influential, how much influence do they have over the purchase decision? How many people do they get to? Uh, you know, bought, go into Starbucks and uh, buy more lattes or, you know, purchase more copies of parallel software or get people to buy more Rubios. And uh, we track that. Um, so on a system, you know, when you share something, when a Rubios advocate shares something with their social network, we can track the inbound clicks to that page that contained an offer or a piece of content. And then we need to track how many people redeemed that offer. And so that's really the ultimate uh, measure of how influential an advocate is. And in the book, I talk about how um, uh, you know the, the your how much people are interacting with your social content. In other words, your cloud score uh, isn't really uh, as relevant in the world of brand advocates as you know who among your advocates are really getting people to try or buy your product. That's sort of the ultimate uh, measure for brand advocacy. And this. As you're building brand advocates, are you are you technically building you know, a, a physical CRM where you're um, you know you're sending the mailings and keeping track of the stats on them? Is it you know uh, so you know the Starbucks Melody is is it that she's part of a Starbucks Gold Member Club and she's got an ID number so you can track the, that person through and then and then. Uh, you know, send them messages and and prompt them to uh, to to you know to to make additional reviews out there or to share information about the brand. Oh yeah, as a matter, you know, uh, I think that's one way you could describe it. An advocate management system is another way you could describe it. Um, yeah, but we uh, we through our system understand a lot about uh, these brands' advocates, both uh, at the individual level and the aggregate level as well. And uh, 
this is why you know this is this approach and the system really is without sounding too much like a commercial message here, but what you really want to be able to do to to really leverage the power of your band advocates is to do this on an ongoing basis uh, versus a one time campaign. And you know, we marketers are uh, very uh, campaign oriented. You know, we do something, we try it for 30 days or 60 days, and we stop doing something else. But you know, the advocates um, are the type of customers who will recommend you for years. I mean, you know, I saw this at Apple, where you know, same Apple customers who are recommending the Apple IIe uh, are recommending the iPhone today. Um, you know, so they're highly loyal. And, and so you can leverage your advocate uh, over many years and in multiple ways. But in order to do that well, you know, you need a system that can uh, manage the advocates and track the results and re-engage and re-mobilize them uh, on a systematic and automatic basis. And that's that's kind of the core of what Zuberance provides. And no, don't don't worry. Uh, we're a, we're a marketing tech show, so um, we definitely want to get to the bottom of what Zuberance provides as well. So you don't you don't have to sound like a commercial uh, <laughs> or sound like a commercial. It doesn't matter. Um, you talk also about uh, hidden advocates in your book. Uh, can you talk about that a little bit? Well, yeah. I mean, um, uh, I. You can see some of your advocates. I call those visible advocates. You know, they may be tweeting about you, maybe phone uh, uh, hours at you, writing positive things about you on Twitter or on Facebook. Or if you're a B B, maybe uh, that advocate is a, a member of a customer advisor council uh, or some sort of inner circle. Um, but if you think about, you know, sort of the tip of the iceberg. Those visible advocates are the ones you can see where you've already engaged or already in some sort of program like a brand ambassador program or, as I mentioned earlier, like a customer advisory council. But underneath the waterline are potentially millions of other advocates that you can't see. And I know some very, very influential advocates who are not on social media, uh, who think Twitter is something their eye does when they're they're nervous. Um, And they're not really, uh, you know, uh, active. Uh oh, it looks like we're losing it. Well, let's go to a break. Outside the box, pushing the envelope. Back to the drawing board. Thinking in new ways means doing in new ways, and it's hard to work creatively when you rely on old tools. Whiteboards, sticky notes, and endless email threads only get you so far and don't work if your team is scattered across the globe. At MindJet, we offer the tools for more vibrant and productive brainstorming. MindJet puts your ideas into a visual framework in terms people can understand and shares it with anyone, anywhere, anytime. Work fast, work smart. Go to MindJet.com to learn more. Marketing tech blog listeners meet Right On Interactive. Right On Interactive is a marketing automation company that helps organizations win, keep, and grow business. They do this through a life cycle marketing solution that builds engagement throughout the life cycle of every prospect and customer. Recognized as a top-ranking marketing automation solution with a hands-on implementation strategy, Right On Interactive provides an engagement blueprint for sales and marketing teams so they see where to invest their resources to drive revenue. Engagement drives relationships, and relationships drive revenue. 
This is why nurturing relationships is key. Lifecycle Marketing from Right On Interactive. It's the next evolution of marketing automation. To learn more, visit RightOnInteractive.com. Email info at RightOnInteractive.com. This is Doug. We're back. We lost Rob, but he's gonna. Uh, we're gonna have him dial back into the show. Um, I think the important note here when we're talking about advocacy uh, that people don't understand is is that first that you actually can harness your advocates, and I think that's something that Zurant and, and Robert get with both the book and the application. I think a lot of companies feel uncomfortable in in their advocates. Uh, to actually look out for them. But if people if people believe in your brand and they believe in what you're trying to, uh, this product and services that you're selling on the market, they don't mind doing that. And, and they want you to actually succeed. So just taking five minutes and emailing everybody and asking them to add a review of an app, for example. Um, you know, I ignore the ones that I really don't care about. But the ones that I really do like, I am constantly um, updating and, and adding five-star reviews to, um, and sometimes one-star reviews if they're not that great. Um, Doug, do you think that if people are unwilling to advocate, to advocate what you're doing, is that the symbol you might have some trouble out there? I, I think so. I, I honestly think it is um, because I think, uh, I think people that uh, – if they don't want to be an advocate, they're going to be slow about it. They're they're not going to tell you. They're not absolutely going to say people want to be nice to one another. And so if I have a business and a product that really isn't that great, and I go ask the advocates for me and they don't do it, I think it is a little bit of a symbol. And and going back and asking them, they'll just say, "Well, I was busy. I didn't <laughs> I didn't have a chance to." And 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 they'll make all kinds of other excuses. Um, but I think that's a that's a step where you need to start looking out uh, and and seeing what you're doing and why you're not getting that you know why you're not getting that person to to do that. We we've seen it. I, I've seen it with uh, you know we put out corporate blogging for dummies as a book and we saw um, we saw uh, one collection of people that absolutely went out and put reviews and posted on their site and everything else and then we saw others that didn't. Know, and it was and it was interesting to kind of watch. I can say without a shadow of a doubt, it was totally unpredictable. I was surprised at who the huge advocates were, and then was really surprised at some of the people that I thought would be advocates that that just weren't motivated enough. Um, and then when they came back a year later and asked me to, you know, put their book out, <laughs> I was a little bit busy. <laughs> Do you think how much do you think that is related to personality temperament? I think nowadays uh, maybe a little bit more than ever. Uh, um, it's not. It's we. I want to jump on the extrovert introvert thing. Ever since our, but ever since we had the radio show on extroverts and introverts, it doesn't, doesn't <laughs> apply because. You know, uh, in, everybody. You know, there's a lot of people that are introverts that have great personalities. Um, I think it's up. Oh, here we go. We got Rob on. I think. Um, hey, there we go. Or, Rob, are you on the line? I am. Fantastic. Can you hear me? And this time we won't. 
this time we won't lose you because you're dialed straight into the into the radio show uh, just as we are. So um, I apologize for that. No worries. Uh, we were talking offline a little bit uh, about uh, brand advocacy and advocacy in general and, and doing a recap a little bit of, of what you were saying. Um, you know, I, I want to ask you, this is an interesting one, and especially now with the news, I'm I'm a little Apple boy. I, I absolutely love the company. Our our you know room is full of Apple devices right now as we speak. Um, and I really thought it was interesting to watch what happened with iOS six and and the mapping. And and I I I know when, the, when they launched mapping and and uh, I'd love to. I just want to set the stage and then hear your take on it. I wasn't surprised that some of the maps were inaccurate, and it's probably because I have, you know, a GIS background, and I think people totally underestimate how many terabytes and years of data it takes to clean up geographic data and, and actually get to a workable position, and I don't envy Apple actually going live with a system like that and not having the years that Google did to, to have to do that. But what I appreciated about the app I actually liked about it, about it was I really liked the simplicity of the interface. I liked the voice. I liked, um, you know, how it interacted on the phone. And, and I actually liked the app. Um, the first time I used it, it told me to take highways for everything. It wouldn't need to take side roads. But I, I'm sure that that will adjust over time and improve over time. And I was really surprised at the... The brand, uh, I don't know what brand trolls <laughs> out there that just took the opportunity to just absolutely stick their teeth and strike and bombs and everything else at Apple, and and then I was even more surprised. And this is where I really want to ask you. I was really surprised that that Apple came back and said, "Hey, you know what? We're sorry. It didn't meet, meet expectations." I was really surprised that they didn't come back and say, absolutely, you know, this a, you know as we get more data, we'll continue to improve the program. Can you, you know, as someone who has worked with Apple directly and understand, you know, brand advocacy and, and how strong a brand they have, can you speak to that a little bit? I'd love your opinion. Well, you, you mean the fact that Apple didn't? Respond back, or, or I'm not sure I'm, I'm understanding the question. Well, two two things. One was uh, uh, maybe I'd love to hear what you think is happening where there is such a negative report out there um, that here's a loved brand, they're they're followed by incredible, incredibly passionate people, and yet there was this huge um, anti-brand advocacy, if you will, out there. That's one piece of it. And then the second part of it was in manager and I was honestly surprised that you know that that um, the CEO came back and said, I, "We're sorry, you know, yes, it's such a thing." Um, so maybe maybe take the negative, the anti-brand first, and then uh, and then you know maybe what you would have done or what you would have advised in a situation like that. Maybe you would have advised the exact thing that he did. Well, I mean, every brand has detractors, 
right? Even a much uh, loved brand like Apple or Zappos uh, or Pete's or, you know, other brands that, you know, uh, or USAA, uh, a insurance and financial services company for the military, who's had historically one of the highest uh, net promoter scores of any company in the world. Um, and Apple has some detractors as well. And, uh, you know, advocacy is something that you have to earn continually uh, because, um, you know, people, you know, through, you know, if you release a product that's buggy, um, you know, people are going to speak up about it. And they have the power to do that in a way uh, today via social media that they've never had before. So I don't think advocates, um, you know, you, cannot, you can't take for granted that you're always going to have a brand that people are going to recommend uh, if you mess up. Um, uh, people will let you know, uh, and, and including your advocates. You know, it happened also with Target, uh, the retailer. Uh, you know, Target is a brand that, uh, you know, people love and recommend a lot. Uh, they, you know, people fondly refer to it as Target. And uh, Target incurred the wrath of many of its customers, including some of them were advocates, uh, when uh, people found out that uh, Target's CEO uh, was supporting a, a verently, uh, verently anti-gay candidate in Minnesota, and uh, some of Target's customers, who happen to be gay, spoke up, spoke up about that. So, you know, when companies uh, release buggy products or they, they, um, you know, uh, do things that are politically incorrect or that your advocates don't like, they'll tell you about it. Now, as to the second part of it, um, you know, whether Apple's CEO did the right thing by apologizing. Um, I mean, I think that uh, <clears throat> if anything, uh, social media has taught us anything is that we do live in a transparent era, and uh, uh, it's important to uh, to respond in a human way. And uh, I don't, you know, I didn't see the actual apology, so I can't comment on what he said and how he said it. But I think in general, uh, that when you're if your company messes up, I think it's it's generally good advice uh, to apologize. We're all human beings; none of us are perfect, uh, at least all me. Uh, you, you know, you make mistakes, and, uh, uh, you know, I think apologizing is the right thing to do. Uh, but more importantly, fix the problem uh, so that it doesn't impact people. Again, that, that's equally as important. And and do you think that it's a little bit uh, phony, or do you think that it's a good idea to maybe collect the masses and, and really connect advocates and try to get them to, to get a push out there? When something negative happens, you know, uh, do you do you try to counteract it, or is that a little bit too phony, and you just wait for it to subside and and continue the momentum that you you've been working on with with brand advocates? Well, I think that you know brand advocates will rush to your defense, and uh, let me give you an example that I talked about in my book because you know these social media ambushes can hit any company. And sometimes you can get, uh, you know, the, a social media firestorm can be triggered by something you or your employees do that uh, is uh, unfortunate. And I give an example in the book of uh, Kenneth Cole, uh, who had you know, the fashion company uh, founded by, you know, the, the, who takes its name from its, its founder, Kenneth Cole himself. And uh, there was a rather unfortunate tweet, and I don't know if Kenneth himself tweeted this out or uh, sort of an ill-advised um, staffer uh, that uh, made a comment, uh, an attempt to be humorous and liken uh, a sale, a fall sale that uh, Kenneth Cole was holding to uh, uh, the uprising in the Mideast. And uh, it, it just was not very funny or clever. In fact, it was very insensitive. 
And, um, and you know, in a situation like that, um, you know, inviting your advocates to comment can be probably the smartest thing you can do. It turns out that Kenneth Cole, if anybody knows anything about Kenneth Cole, that this is a very decent human being who has do- donated millions of dollars, both of his companies and his own, to causes like um, uh, AIDS research, uh, a very noble and very uh, uh, dignified man. Uh, and, you know, I don't know, again, I don't know if it was Kenneth himself or a staffer that made that unfortunate uh, tweet, uh, but he made a mistake. And uh, as an advocate of Kenneth Cole, uh, I, I pointed out to people, let's, you know, look, we're not perfect, and uh, but don't forget that this is a guy that has donated millions to AIDS research. Uh, and so he had a bad day or he did something stupid or someone done something on his behalf did something stupid. You know, we saw this at Apple for years and years that, uh, you know, your advocates are your most passionate defenders. And, uh, you know, because companies are filled with people and people are imperfect, they're going to do things wrong from time to time. Uh, and inviting your advocates to comment. I think the thing that, you know, Kenneth Cole could have done was he could have, he did the right thing, which is he apologized, but then he could have invited his advocates and he could have said, you know, we, I made a comment on Twitter today that I shouldn't have, um, you know, and, and if you want to say something about it, have at it. And, and they would have said, as I did, because uh, I'm a Kenneth Cole advocate, um, I would have pointed out that, uh, you know, he did something dumb. But uh, let's not forget that this is a man who is uh, a caring individual. So I think inviting your advocate to speak up for you is always a, uh, a good thing. And, and I think you should uh, enable them and, and invite them to speak up. I think you're absolutely right. Um, when we were back, in, you know, five years ago, when we were talking about the advent of blogging, um, trolling was, you know, prevalent on blog comments, and, and we didn't have, you know, Facebook and these control regions where people would have conversations. So they were typically not a balanced <laughs> conversation. And I often uh, told people, you know, stay on your own, but ask your followers to defend you when. You know, people are bad mouthing you out somewhere else, and and the risk was always, you know, if 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 say you and I had a turf battle between our blogs, if I went and commented on yours, of course you had advocates there and followers there that would just beat the heck out of me, you know, and that that if you came and asked me on my own blog, you know, people would come to my rescue, and and it was always funny that. That's exactly how it happened, and I really appreciated the fact uh, that I didn't have to immediately respond. That a lot of times it was as soon as I was attacked, it would be 10, 15 people would immediately comment and say, "What are you talking about? You know, you don't know him. You haven't been reading his blog for you know years." And and I always, you know, that was such a such an incredible gift. Um, uh, of having those people that would look out for you. And I, I think companies, you know, the great conversation that we're having today is is that you talk about unabashedly that you have these people that they actually do want to help your company. They do want to help your brand. They do want to see you do well, and they want to see other people purchase from you, and they want to see your business grow you shouldn't feel bad about asking them for that help. Um, well, mostly, yeah, I mean, uh, to give you a real example of that, um, you know, uh, Symantec is a company that uh, we've worked with extensively. And um, we started working with them a couple of years ago. And, 
you know, Symantec has done a lot of customer research, and they've been uh, doing net promoter research and asking its customers, how likely are you to recommend Symantec to a friend or colleague? And consistently, over the last five years, about 60 to 65% of surveyed Symantec customers say they're highly likely to recommend Symantec, 60 to 65%. But if you go on Amazon.com or you go to CNET, uh, you would think that uh, it's sort of the other way around, that 60 to 65% don't recommend Symantec. And so what you're really getting is a pretty warped impression of the average customer experience with Symantec products because if you think about this, you know, if you go out to a restaurant tonight and uh, you don't really have a – well, I mean, if you, if you think really you got ripped off or you had a bad, bad meal or the experience was bad or the service was rude – you know, you're going to get all fired up, and you're probably going to go home and hop on Yelp and, and blast the restaurant. But if you had a good experience, you might not do that. Or if it was just okay, you might not do that. Um, so what Symantec was experiencing was that even though 60 to 65% of their customers are likely to recommend them, there were a lot of haters online that were blasting them. And, and it was really, you know, tarnishing their reputation and their image and their re and their revenues. And so Working with Symantec, we said, listen, you know, it's not really fair that uh, the voice of those 60 to 65% of people are not being heard. So let's invite them. Let's ask them to join the conversation. Let's make it easy for them. Let's say, hey, what do you think? You know, how would you like to write a review or how would you like to share your story about how, you know, Norton Antivirus is saving your bacon? And, uh, and those people responded in droves, and, and they started writing about why they liked uh, Norton and uh, Symantec, and Symantec's star rating started going up on Amazon, and uh, their sales increased on Amazon 200% uh, after two quarters, and there's a story about that in, uh, in my book, Brand Advocates. Uh, so, you know, a lot of times it's just that what people are seeing online are the haters or your competitors or, or people that uh, have a, um, you know, some sort of agenda uh, and you, the voice of your happy customers isn't being heard, and I think it's important to give those customers an opportunity uh, to join the conversation as well. Yeah, I, th I think I saw a stat recently. It might have been Pew or Gardner that um, they believe that to 15% of all reviews are fake reviews, I think, online. I don't know if it was that high, but there is, uh, there, there is you know, uh, increasing awareness and recognition uh, that uh, that a certain percentage of the reviews that are out there are actually reviews that were created by uh, competitors, uh, right. by you know, people that have some sort of malicious intent, or people that have been paid to create reviews. Uh, and that's something we are vehemently against. Uh, we won't work with any company that wants to give any kind of incentive, reward, swag to anybody to write a review. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a concern because, uh, you know, 70% of uh, consumers trust online reviews, according to Nielsen, and uh, companies know how influential and powerful reviews are uh, in terms of whether, you know, uh, what products people are deciding to purchase. Uh, so there, there are some abuses out there, and it's unfortunate. Yeah, it is. It is unfortunate, and, I, and I'm totally on board with you as far as paid reviews. I, I, people don't even realize that. That's actually a violation of you know, FTC compliance rules as well. So um, you know that that any paid engagement has to be disclosed uh, within the content that you're posting out there. So uh, we meet with a, a company up in Chicago called Comply uh, that's done some extensive stuff and is talking to the FTC about it. 
and it's it's running amok right now, but hopefully someone will get a lasso around it soon and, and tighten it down because um, your stats right there prove you know how essential it is to a company that a company can literally hit or miss a quarter or have a layoff or or hiring simply because of you know uh, how they're putting their brand advocates work. So uh, on on all uh, I mean congratulations on the book again that's brand advocates turning enthusiastic customers into a powerful marketing force and you can just get it on Amazon or Riley. Um, and then uh, there's also a link to it right at zuberance.com, uh, Z-U-B-E-R-A-N-C-E.com. And uh, Rob, uh, anything else to add? I, I, I really appreciate you taking the time. Well, no, I think that um, the last thing that I would add is that uh, everybody listening to uh, this uh, conversation today, um, you know, everyone that works for a company, you know, you have brand advocates. Uh, the opportunity that you have is to find them and to programmatically turn them into a marketing force for your company. So it doesn't matter if you're a B2B or a B2C, uh, you know, GMC or a mom and pop. Uh, you know, all companies have people who recommend them, and today it's more important than ever to amplify those advocates. So I would say, um, you know, there's the opportunity. Uh, turn your best customers into a marketing force. Uh, and it's about it is the most powerful marketing you can do and the most effective marketing you can do because word of mouth has always been that way. Um, so I would just uh, hopefully this conversation has inspired you to uh, go find your advocates and give them the opportunity to tell your story. And Zuberance has a, both a full service and a uh, self service model uh, for it's an advocacy system, if you will. So a process pattern, I, I, I guess a full service also comes with account management, so you've got coaching on the way. Uh, but uh, see Zuberance.com, and you can watch a product demo or contact them uh, about their product. You bet. Fantastic. Well, thanks again, Rob, and sorry about the technical difficulties. Uh, but but I think uh, I think this was just an incredible show and and one for people to really take in and, and I appreciate you spending the time with us. Well, it's been fun. Thanks for the opportunity. And go Giants. Go San Francisco Giants. We actually have a great day. We have two teams in the playoffs. So go A's also. <laughs> All right, we'll take that this week. <laughs> All right. All right sir. All right, nice chatting with you. Okay, bye-bye. Connect with us anytime at marketingtechblog.com. And from there, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening to the Marketing Tech Blog.